0: A friend of mine and I decided that we were going to go down the Brazos River on inner tubes. This was back many years ago. I was working in a place called Ralph Wilson's Plastics. And Ralph Wilson plastics made you know everybody called it formica the stuff that's on the you know the tops of your a lot of counters and such but it's really mostly it's Wilson Art and that's what we that's what we manufactured there and we got off on the graveyard shift and we decided to go get in that that, that uh, Brazos River and we were going to go down the Brazos River and a lot of reasons one it had some rapids and we thought that would be fun and then uh, they used to navigate the Brazos River so they still had these old locks in the in the uh, middle of the river so you could you know they close those locks up and they could bring the water level up and and they would navigate they would uh, actually have uh, river boats and such that were on it many many years before It's glad the old cap stands. you could crawl up inside of these things and I mean it was kind of a, a neat idea so we took Mike's car and we put it way down at one part of the river and we got in my car and we drove all the way back to you know the very beginning where we wanted to get in before there's some rapids and so we jumped in that that um The water with our inner tubes. I mean, you know, this was back when nobody wore um, sunscreen. You understand, no sunscreen whatsoever. Had a pair of cutoff jeans on and a pair of tennis shoes. And we got in there and we started down the Brazos River. I'm going to tell you how long it was. We got in sometime between 8.30 and 9 o'clock. And we got to where Mike's car was about 3.30 in the afternoon. So we've been out on the water baking. And I mean baking. I mean I had a date that night. I remember that I I was uh, it was in the movie theater that some people said I glowed in the dark. I mean I was I was radioactive as far as that goes. We got out and uh, Mike who had chastised me for bringing my car keys because he said you could lose your car keys in the water. He said you ought to leave them back at the you know where we had them. I got there and Mike said uh, I left my car keys back at your car. Now, we are miles away as we're starting to walk. Let me tell you something, folks. There was only one thing that I wanted. You're saying, do you want a drink of water? No. Didn't need a drink of water necessarily. Did you, want, you know, did you want something to soothe your sunburn? No. That really wasn't it. You know what I wanted more than anything else? The key to his car. That was it. I mean, we're walking down. I mean, it was hot. It was 100 and something degrees. It's Texas. You know what I'm saying? And we we're going in you know, and I'm going, all I want is the key to his car. You know, when you have just one thing that you really, really need, you need to make sure you don't lose that one thing. You understand what I'm trying to say to you? Last week, we talked about the devil, talked about the fact that he's, he's out to, he's working against us. I mean, he's just working against us. And what we, we realized and what we said in our, in our notes and all of that kind of stuff, uh, we said, you know what? We cannot lose our salvation I mean he's working against us but we can't lose our salvation there's no way in the world we can lose our salvation because God's got that locked away the Holy Spirit is holding on to that and we said that there is nothing in the world that can take us away from the love of God so he can't make us lose God's love now we can feel like we've lost his love but we're not going to be able to lose his love but what we've realized is what he's trying to steal from us is one thing is our joy we talked about that last week Take away our joy. And so we can live with a, in a joyless life. And, you know, you look, you know it, it becomes drab. He, 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 can, he can come along with temptation and such and, and take away the manifest presence of God. What he does is he tempts us to walk along a different path that God is walking on. And we get farther away from God. And we don't realize we can't even see God anymore. In that manifest presence. We know he's present. But you know what? It, there's a difference between that when it's in your heart. You know what I'm talking about? When you know that, you know, maybe you read, read a scripture and that, that scripture just comes alive to you and the Lord is speaking to you through it. And, and when you come into somebody's presence and, you know, they're, they're, you know, they know the Lord and you know the Lord and there's a, you know, there's a manifest presence of God that just comes out of that. And so we can lose that. And the third thing we could lose is our rewards. The rewards that we have done on this earth for the Lord have been put in heaven, but we can lose them. Even Paul talked about it. I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to lose these things. But there's one more thing that we could lose. I told you I'd tell you about it this week. Let's get into the scripture here. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want you to keep this open. If you don't and have the notes, that's okay. Because I'm going to be referring back to this verse over and over again. It's uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 12. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's look at this. Let's look at this verse really uh, carefully here. It says, keep your conduct honorable. That's the first thing that is on there. I mean, when you're using that word keep, it means that you have an honorable conduct, but you got to keep that honorable conduct. The word for conduct is a word with a kind of a prefix. It's, I'll tell you, I don't like Greek in you, but I've I got to give you a little bit of it just to kind of get you to uh, understand this. Uh, the word Anna is the, the prefix to this word. Anna means again. And, and, this, and the second part is strepo, strepo. And what that really means is, strepo means is return. It is to return again. It is that you are to return to God again. Now, it is a, a, it is a noun. It doesn't reveal an action, but it is the return of that individual. And understand, you belong to God. You belong to God, but Satan has claimed you. He claimed you. At one point, he said, I got this person. This person is mine. But what happens is your salvation returned you back to God. You see, that comes with a manner of living. That comes with a conduct that changes the way that you, you live. See, your faithful lifestyle comes because of the relationship that has been restored between you and God. Understand, God did not create you for hell. God created you for himself. That's what he created you for. Now, years ago, I had a Jack Russell Terrier. If you don't know what a Jack Russell Terrier is, a little dog about this big, that bounce. If you've ever seen them anywhere, they bounce. I guess you could play basketball with them because quite frankly, they bounce. They just bounce everywhere they go. They've got more energy than you can imagine. They are some of the smartest dogs that I've ever had. That dog learned to climb up in our cabinet and get to the stuff that she wanted to eat. Just the stuff she wanted to eat, she pulled them off. And the only way I could get her to stop was to turn the packages around so she couldn't read the labels anymore. Anyway, so, you know, she was smart. The dog was smart. I'm just telling you, you got a smart dog there. But she had, she found out, because we had this invisible fence, that, you know, she got shocked. But she realized, you know, because they're really, really determined. They're stubborn. They're so smart that they're mischievous. Okay? And so what she found out was, if I take off running as hard as I can, and I jump when I get, I hear the beep first. It hears the beep and I jump with the beep. They can jump high enough and, and far enough. I'll get shocked, but when I land, I'm free. I'm on the outside. And so she would get out that way. And most of the time what she'd do is she'd go up to somebody and those, those people would, you know, she'd, they'd take her in, they'd feed her. And she said, this is a great deal. You get out, you get fed more. And, you know, this is a great deal. So she'd get out. And so then they'd somehow bring her back because knew, they knew where she belonged. Well, one time happened where she went up to this, this um, in the backyard. I don't know how she got in the backyard, but she got in the backyard of this house, and she went up to the you know, sliding glass door, and she started scratching on it and said, hey, this looks like a place to eat, and so she decided she's going to go in, and the people called animal control. And so she went to doggy jail. I'm just telling you what happened. So she's in, she, uh, and, and we couldn't find her. We even called animal control. We couldn't find her because they didn't know the difference between a rat terrier and a Jack Russell terrier. But they're very different looking. But anyway, so finally when we said there's one that's a rat terrier, we finally said, well, let's just go look. And I went over and I found the dog in her cell. You know, there's a little bit of cell. I mean, it's like a little cell. And I mean, she saw me. She was the happiest dog whatsoever. She just jumped up and down. She was so happy. But you see, I still had to pay to get her out of jail. You understand? Because they had her for three days. And when I walked off, that dog cried like I've never heard a dog cry in my life. She was crying, don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me. I'll be good next time, you know. And so what happens is I I pay for her to to, uh, get out of jail and I took her home. And she never got out again. Do you understand what happened there? Animal control claimed her but I bought her back and it changed the way she lives. That's what happened with the dog. And that's what this is talking about. Our conduct should be in an honorable way because we were claimed by Satan and what happened was God bought us back. And he's saying coming home is the best place that you're ever going to be. So So understand, we've been bought. You know what that means? You are not your own. You are not your own. I think that a lot of people think they are their own. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price So glorify God in your body. I don't care how many marches you go on. I don't care how many chants you say. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Your body is not yours. It belongs to God. It belongs to God. And we must, and you must, and we must live lives that glorify God in the body. And that's how you're observed. You're observed in the body. This is how people observe who you are. It, if we are to give God glory, this return to God's manner of living must show. It must show. You know, you cannot say, I do the right things while doing the wrong things. You can't say in another simpler way, I believe in diets and eat a half gallon of bluebell ice cream every night. Because what's going to happen? The blue bell is going to show. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen there. You see, so the conduct, your conduct must change in you so that it is observed by others that you are a person who has been returned back to God. Returned back to God. And I'll tell you, you trust God on a daily basis And it will show, especially when a crisis arrives. I will tell you, saying that you trust God is pretty easy when things are great. It's hard when you're sitting on the railroad tracks in a broken down car. If you understand, you know the train's coming. And that's when it's really hard. But if you trust in God here, you can trust in God there. See, trusting God during difficulties is a whole lot easier when you already trust God. You trust him when you're healthy, so then you know you should trust him when you're not healthy. You trust him when you've got money in the bank, so that when you don't have money in the bank, you'll still trust him. You trust him for your children, even while they live at home, so you can trust him with the children afterwards. You trust him when things are peaceful at work, because I guarantee you somebody's going to mess things up at work. You realize that. And so you know him intimately now. And you trust him in such a way that it shows. Now I want you to hear this. I hate sensationalism. I mean, saying some story in order to get people to to act on something, react, I guess. Uh, I've seen it on Facebook. Person writing said, "I'm so lonely and nobody loves me." And so what happens? Everybody starts writing in, "Oh, we love you, we love you, we love you," and they're just milking you. You know, understand what's going on. And I've seen it happen with politicians. Politicians say, "We're going to do this for the children." You know what they're doing it for. It's not the children, I can tell you. And you even see this from preachers. Preachers sometimes say, now what would your mama want to do, you to do? Your poor, sweet mama. You know, that's the sort of thing that preachers do. But what I'm about to tell you, I hope is not going to make you react. But I want you to act. God will give you the opportunity to show your faith in him by your conduct when the worldly reaction would be different from the godly one. Here's the story. Here's what happens. So a crisis comes along. I don't believe that God brings the crisis. But God allows the crisis. He allows it to come into your life. You've got to admit that. God could have stopped it. He didn't stop it. And here's what happens so often. So you will pray. You'll pray hard. And you know what you get? Silence. And you wonder, why do I get silence? I will tell you why. You're not going to like the answer. That's because God trusts you. Oh, you say, but I wished you wouldn't trust me. I understand, but God trusts you. And it is those people on the outside, those people that are not going to church, they are watching you. They're seeing how you're going to react. They want to see if there is a difference in being a believer and not being a leader. In fact, as it says here, he uses the word, he says, he says your conduct amongst the Gentiles. Now, Peter is not saying amongst the Gentiles, in other words, all the, the non-Jews at this point. Paul wouldn't use that term later. It, they, they, they understood it's not the non-Jews when he says Gentiles here. He's talking about the non-Christians. This is what he talks about. He says in Ephesians 4, uh, 17, Now this I say and testify uh, in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He's not talking about the, the non-Jews here. He's talking about the non-Christians. And they use this terminology here. I don't think that's necessarily politically correct. I mean, but uh, for what the people would say, but he's not doing it in order to judge them. He's not doing it in order to pity them. He's not even trying to, he's not doing this in order to make them act like Christians even. I mean, they're non-believers. That's what they are. So the reason for seeing them as non-Christians or Gentiles in this case, was to focus on bringing them to Christ. In other words, what my point is, is that they need to see you. They need to see that you are walking with the Lord. And, 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 I, and I'm going to tell you something, folks. They're not going to see you walking with the Lord necessarily when everything's going great for you. They're going to notice it when everything's going terrible for you. Because, I mean, people just don't come over to my house and say, you got new plants. I want to watch those plants grow. You painted the wall. I used to watch the paint dry. They want to see something that is remarkable. And it is remarkable that you are not acting in a way that is like the rest of the world. You're not panicking. You're not in despair. You're not hopeless in in, in all of this. They're looking at you and they're they're saying there's something here. Because before that time, they thought, you know, this guy's been duped by this religion stuff. It must be that he got duped. And he's trying to dupe me. That's what's going on. And he says, I'm not trying to tell you that God causes a tragedy so that you can have a strong testimony. But a person with a strong testimony will have the prince of this world bring havoc to destroy your testimony. Do you realize that? He is seeking to destroy your testimony. He does not want to see you being able to stand out in the world in such a way that you will give glory to God by your steadfastness of faithfulness to the Lord while you're going through a deep crisis and so your faith will be severely attacked when you prove that you are faithful you want want him to leave you alone you live like the rest of the world that's the way it is just live like the rest of the world Live like the rest of the world. Don't be uh, trustworthy. Don't be faithful. Don't, don't act and, and, and like you even know the Lord. You just go along with it. He'll leave you alone. He'll leave you alone because he wants to destroy. He wants to destroy your witness. You know, Peter says that, that these people on the outside, these Gentiles, these non-Christians... They will talk you down. That's literally what the word means. It means it's kata lalusin and the word kata means down and the lalusin is words. It's down. It's saying downwards to you. They will ridicule your faith for one thing. They will say they have silly proofs in order to disprove your faith. I've heard some of the most silly things. And and non believers are going, yeah, that's right, that's right. I'm going, No, it's not right. That is just absolutely silly what you're saying. I watched this guy on YouTube. I got on YouTube. There's a street preacher, and he got up and he and he started saying things like, "If there's really a, a Jesus Christ, he said, let me strike me down right now." And because I, I don't believe you exist, and he was just doing that kind of stuff. And he and he was yelling. He said and he was he was saying this before this street preacher. And and I mean, that, I mean, just saying these kinds of crazy things. I mean, which makes about as much sense as I smoke a cigarette and see nothing happen to me, and therefore there is no such thing as lung disease caused by cigarettes. You know what I'm trying to say? That doesn't make any sense. And people are grasping a hold of these things. And so, and they'll, they'll even attack unrelated things. They're unrelated things. I said, I went to your church. It looks like it's a very opulent place. You know, it's, it's, all, about the, it's all about the money, isn't it? And as in the process of the attacking, they will say that you are an evildoer. Literally what the word says, evildoer. They will say you have an evil intent in order to present yourself. Like They'll say things like, what they're trying to do at the church is just get your money. I've heard that so many times. Or they're brainwashing people down at the church. Or they just want to control you, don't you understand? They don't want you to have any fun in this life. And so when you live inconsistently, you're just proving what they believe. You just prove what they, they thought. They thought, yeah, it's just... It's just a sham. See, lots of people want to be unique if it is accepted and admired by others. And so what will happen is, is that other people will join in with them. They will join in with the, with the uh, ridicule and the, the saying that you're evil in what you're doing. I actually heard somebody say uh, this past week, just literally this past week, said that saying there is only one way to God is the cause of all the evil in the world today. See, that kind of stuff is said. That was actually said recently. You see, so others will join in on this attack. I don't necessarily believe we have so many less Christians than we did before. But we certainly got a lot of less Christians living lives that would bring more people to Christ. We just we just have fewer of the Christians, they don't attend church regularly, and so and everybody ought to check their own attendance to see how they're doing. we have fewer of them that speak openly about their faith, and I'm not about talking about in-your-face faith, faith that some people have. They just get in your face, you know, and make everybody go crazy. You'd say, "Get out of my face with that religion you've got!" And we have fewer people abstain from, from things that would indicate how honest they were. I mean, even amongst Christians, I find that they don't, they're not honest with their taxes. They're not honest with the way they're living. See, today we only have few people who trust in Christ because of the faith of Christians. What I'm trying to say here is those people that are observing, they need to see a true believer in order to trust in Christ because they're not going to read the Bible. They're going to they're watch you. They're not going to just believe your testimony by the words. And I do believe you ought to have verbal uh, witness. I'm not trying to say that sort of thing. But what I'm trying to say is, is that, that we have less people living a life that is worthy of saying that person is a believer. They're, they're different from the rest of the world. I want to know what that is all about. So what's going on in our churches is, is that, I mean, this is, this, I don't care if you're in a mega church. If you were in a mega church, they're probably just baptizing their children. And they're baptizing the, the people who at one time in their life, they, they got their salvation and their, and their, you know, their, their baptism kind of out of order and they just want to get it straight. And so that's, this is the kind of stuff that is going on. We baptize very, very few people who are just coming to know the Lord because they have observed the life of another believer and said, I want what that person has. We have very little of that. But it says here, it says in this scripture right here, it says, the, the people who attacked us because of our faith will praise God on the day of visitation. Now, this is amazing a little bit here, and it could easily be misunderstood. That word visitation, it's an interesting thing. It's the same word we, we use for bishop. <laughs> it's episkopos remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you that meant overseer. And what this really is saying here is is that they will praise God on the day of overseeing. Uh, The Charles B. Williams translation calls it, they will praise God on on judgment day. That's probably the closest uh, to the meaning that it should be. And there's three possible interpretations of that. How are they going to praise God on judgment day? It says, one is the non-Christians are going to praise God when they are judged. <laughs> they're going to say, oh, I looked at their testimony and I'm going to praise God. That is very highly unlikely. I think when you say you're going to go to hell, oh, I'm going to praise God now is not going to happen. Don't think that's going to happen. Second one is, is that they're going to be a trial on earth by earthly magistrates, by earthly judges. And, and they're, going to, they're going to praise God because... That, Who's going to bring them to charges because of the way they're living? That's not going to happen on this earth. And then why would they praise God? Because of the the testimony of the Christians. That doesn't make any sense. Here's what I believe is the best interpretation. It's called the interpretation of grace and mercy. The non-believers will come to know Christ by observing you. And on that day... They will, I mean, because they will come to know Christ, because they have Jesus, they're going to praise God for your testimony. Your testimony. That's what's going to happen. I believe it. See, the greatest of all things that we can lose as Christians by living unfaithful lives is our honorable testimonies. That's one thing we must, must have. And we can build it up in a lifetime and destroy it in a moment. And as I said, folks, you may be the only Bible that some people will ever read. Your life may be the only testimony that they ever observe. And it will mean nothing if you don't show it. You understand what I'm saying? It's got to show It's got to be something that comes through you. Gandhi was the former prime minister of India. And he read the New Testament, by the way, and he actually loved the teachings of Jesus. But let me read this to you. Seeing Gandhi uh, live, the Christian missionary E. Stanley Jones asked him, Mr. Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ often, Why is it that you appear to be so adamantly reject becoming his follower, that is becoming a Christian? Here was Gandhi's answer. He said, the latter's reply was clear. Oh, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ.